You're listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast with your host, Jessica Hawks, where we get honest about all things entrepreneurship, balancing life and business, and navigating the world in a digital age. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital State of Mind Season 3. Today's guest, uh, we have worked a lot together. She is a master of words. I <laughs> I recently did a review for today's guest, and I said in the review how she just has a magical way of making great sounding things out of just random ideas and words that are thrown at her, which I do not have the gift of doing. So today we have Sarah Ellison from Brand Speak Studio. I feel like you, how would you, would you describe yourself as a copywriter or I feel like you're more than that. I feel like you are a lot of different things. That is the question of the hour. My role, I would say, has grown from being a copywriter to now being a user experience writer is the technical term for what I do. Uh, It's often abbreviated as UX writer. Yep. Which sounds like space age, which I love. Yeah. It sounds very fancy. (laughs) So Sarah has worked with us. She wrote all the copy for my website. She has worked with us on the Fluent University Pin and Thrive website. And we literally just got off a call to talk about working together on some other things. So she is my go-to person for when I can't put things into words, which is a lot of the time. So Sarah, I am going to have you tell us your story because you didn't start out as a UX, what is it, UX writer? Yeah. Yeah, you didn't start out as that. So tell us how you got started, how you found the online space, and what got you to where you are now. I would love to. I have had a really interesting career path, and I think that the the pivots and, and adjustments are going to continue, and that's what makes it so exciting with what I do. But I became an entrepreneur about eight years ago. I had just finished college. I studied English literature and communications because it was like the easiest thing for me to study. It came very naturally, which is a foreshadowing of what I do now. But that wasn't what I jumped into. In fact, I jumped into event photography and built up a studio of three incredible women. And we photographed luxury events, uh, traveled around the world. And it was a very exciting chapter that's now winding down this year. And during that time of growing an event photography studio, if you're in that industry at all, or if you're not, there's like one thing to know is it is hyper competitive. It's so competitive to be an event photographer. And so I learned a ton about online marketing and a ton about networking. And that's what I credit our success to is those two pieces. And in that, I became so passionate about both of those things. And carried that into starting up a communications agency, essentially, is what we what we are now. And so when the pandemic hit, I was a few months into starting Brand Speak Studio. And it really took off during that time. And in that window of time, I had a lot of time to sit around and think. 
and really decide what direction I wanted to take it. And I started off with serving creative entrepreneurs, much like myself. I worked with a lot of people in the event industry. And that was such a cool chapter of Brand Speak. And that's really how we got started because we knew that audience so well. I was part of that audience. And then from there, I really started to look at how I could scale without potentially bringing more people onto the team because we really weren't at the point where we needed to do that with our like intimate group of writers here at Brandspeak. But we needed to figure out what was the best way to offer more value and raise our prices. And that's when I began to look more deeply at writing as a field and all the niches inside it. And I realized that a large part of what we do was not actually copywriting. It was user experience writing. And I think this is a great way to like share the difference because it's not a field that a lot of people are familiar with. So copywriting is selling. It is the art of persuasion. It is the art of storytelling. User experience writing or UX writing is the art of clarity. It is the art of guiding someone through a website. And we write websites. Uh, that's the bulk of our work here at Brandspeak. And our our work is largely like a heavily intertwined mix of the two of those skills. So once I realized that, I realized everybody needs this. It's not just creative entrepreneurs. And that led me to start expanding who we served and finding different audiences that needed our content and our support. And so now we work with a wide variety of industries from law firms and development companies, crypto education companies, paid media companies, uh, other marketing agencies. It's been really cool to expand outside of the creative entrepreneurship realm. And even right now we're in talks to do work for a major university, which is really exciting. So it's cool. It's been really cool to see how my journey has led me here so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and I'm excited to see what happens next because entrepreneurship is an adventure. Yeah, it is. And you have pivoted a lot, which is something I want to talk to you about because I think that's something that is super scary to everyone. I think it's there's kind of two arenas when it's scary or two times when it's scary in the beginning when you are maybe first choosing your niche and then you feel like it's permanent and you are like I feel like I can't change this because I'm making a lifelong decision which is not true and then on the flip side of that it's when you have already built a business that is doing really really well and then maybe you are feeling called to do something else like you were whenever you were doing photography so what was that like for you like what were the feelings that you had during that time and then how did you kind of work past those because it is it almost feels like you're starting I mean you are technically starting a new business but you go back into that mindset of feeling like you're a, a beginning entrepreneur again Oh, 100%. I think the hardest thing you always have to combat is imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to really cultivating and protecting a healthy mindset, which I think is Mm -hmm. the ultimate skill an entrepreneur can have. Yeah. When it comes to pivoting, I, I think that for me, I've always known that the pivot is calling when what I'm doing no longer brings me joy and Mm -hmm. serves the lifestyle that I want to live. So for example, with event photography, I've always loved it. I've loved being in that moment, Mm -hmm. capturing incredible memories, witnessing such cool things. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, in the past year, I had a daughter and all of a sudden that sacrifice I had to make of missing important life events because I had a client who had booked me 12 to 18 months in advance mm-hmm. really shifted for me. And I realized that I have a finite amount of time before she's independent and off creating her own memories. And that this time was like invaluable for me as a person to be in a relationship with her and to build family memories with my husband too. And so once I hit that point, it was like full stop, everything shifted. Um, And I'm not saying that event photography is incompatible with like living a flexible life. It's not by any means. It just wasn't right for me. And I think perhaps like I had more of a crystalline view of that with my own journey into parenthood. Uh, My daughter almost died at birth. And so we went through a huge period of unknowing right after she was born when she was healing. If we would even be able to bring her home, what her life would look Mm -hmm. like. And that was all completely unexpected. It was very out of the blue. And so I think having walked through that trauma and uncertainty, I was so dialed in on what I wanted my new chapter of life to look like because I wasn't taking anything for granted anymore. Yeah. And And while that, oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, how long did you do photography? Like how long was each kind of venture? What was the time between all of them? Yeah, so my total time in event photography has been seven years, Mm, seven years in business there. Brand Speak has overlapped, so I've had two years of, almost three years now of Mm -hmm. working in, with Brand Speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that it's like, it's interesting because it feels like whenever you are making a pivot on top of it, just being really scary for some reason, it almost feels kind of embarrassing because you feel like <laughs> people are going to be like, Oh, they couldn't do this other thing. So now they're trying this thing. Did you ever feel like that? Oh, that's like, such nope, a good question. <laughs> no, definitely not. I, I felt that immediately. I think mm-hmm. it's almost impossible not to. And again, it's a mindset thing. I really worked very hard to combat that mindset because I had worked so hard to get to a luxury price point and a luxury level of event work. I felt like I was giving up the ship when I first decided this, but I could immediately combat that feeling by going back to my why and grounding Mm -hmm. myself in that being like, this doesn't provide the lifestyle I want anymore. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it's a little less scalable. Like it's harder to productize which any service-based business has to figure out their own path around. Yeah, it is. So uh, you mentioned your daughter, which is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, if you are happy to. Um, I have like, well, recently I got a puppy. Obviously, you know that. And we chatted like briefly about this on a call. But um, I was like, Wow. Those first two weeks, I had a newfound appreciation for moms who have a business they're running and are trying to take care of a child and possibly animals as well. Because I was like, if this is how it is with the puppy, like you just forget. I think it's how parents are like, oh yeah, you forget how like difficult the newborn stage is. And then you have another baby and you're like, oh, I feel like that's what happened to me, but in dog version. So I wanted to 
wanted to like kind of get your experience on what that shift was like because I was almost like those first couple weeks <laughs> with the puppy I was like so frustrated felt like I couldn't get anything done I was so stressed it was just unreal so I'm interested to kind of hear about what that change was like for you that change was tumultuous I am a mm-hmm. high performer I can sit down and dial in on work to the point where I literally forget to eat or drink yeah you cannot do that when you have a baby or a mm-hmm. puppy mm-hmm. and that was frustrating for me And when I came back from maternity leave, which I highly recommend Mm -hmm. setting aside time to rest and recover and bond through maternity and paternity leave, I took about two months Okay, completely away where I'd touch base with clients occasionally, but I was really just focused on family um, Mm -hmm. and recovery. And uh, so then like jumping into that was a big learning curve for me and probably like the hardest Mm -hmm. learning curve Mm -hmm. when you are pregnant you have this bizarre emotional response to the idea of ever leaving your child or outsourcing childcare. at least Mm -hmm. I've had this experience I've talked to friends who have had this where you cannot fathom that this like tiny little person is literally a part of your body at that point could ever be handed off to someone else yeah, And then once they're on the outside and you're juggling their demands and your demands, you realize, wow, I do need help with this. Like I need to figure out a solution to do my best work at work and to do my best work when I'm with my family. So that mm-hmm. for me was a big element of <laughs> humbling myself and realizing mm-hmm. I couldn't do it all wasn't healthy to try to juggle everything so the answer for me in that was adjusting my husband's work schedule so that he mm-hmm. could be part of our child care support and then finding a few phenomenal babysitters to jump mm-hmm. in and be that primary caretaker when I'm doing my best work at work yeah I can imagine that that would be so scary too. Like just even being able to trust the person, like on top of the fact that you want to be with your child, just having to, like I said, trust someone. It's again, like totally different, but I feel that way about my dog. So I'm like, oh geez, what am I going to be like (laughs) when I actually have babies? Um, And there's, you know, I feel like there's a lot of moms who we have a lot of moms who do Digital Creatives Academy and have taken a bunch of our different courses. And one of obviously the biggest reasons they want to do it is so that they can have that time with their kids while also still feeling like they get to fulfill that side of them that wants to have a business, that wants to still have their individuality once Mm -hmm. they've had children. And I think that it's interesting because you don't really see it talked about that much because I'm sure there's so much going on in the background that you're like, okay, when I have time to talk about my business, I don't want to just be like, yeah, I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I'm dealing with all this stuff right now. Um, But do you have any like tips for people who are moms who are new to the entrepreneur space so maybe they are on like the opposite side of you where they have had their child for a while but now they're starting this new business that's kind of in effect becoming their new baby oh yeah I think parenthood when you showcase it authentically and showcase your power as a parent can be one of your biggest selling points for me Mm -hmm. 
if I have two two people I'm considering working with and one is a parent and one is not, I can immediately know that the parent has a depth of experience in multitasking and in handling a larger workload than the other person. And that's just something that comes with time, just as you, you know, with your puppy, like you have reached this new element of multitasking and emotional awareness with this other being and their needs. Mm -hmm. So my advice for emerging entrepreneurs who are either new parents or they've been parents for a little while and they're new business owners is to showcase your strengths in this because that's part of your unique individuality that no one else can duplicate. Now, in terms of how to execute that well in your business and in starting out, don't be intimidated by the pressure to hustle constantly and be on constantly because that leads to burnout. And you're already working another job, raising a human being on the other side of this. So have strong boundaries. Create strong boundaries about when you're online and when you're not. And don't let it don't let the pressure of con- content creation, the pressure of your inbox lead you to be constantly on. Because mm-hmm. then what happens is we create less stellar content because we're feeling a little bit frazzled and burnt out mm-hmm. and we also create like less less professional email responses too mm-hmm. and less thinking about what's best from our clients because we're feeling like we're not taking care of and that never leads to good things in business so I think if you're in a place where you're an emerging entrepreneur who's a parent start with the boundaries and then build from there and you're going to see tremendous success with that mm-hmm And I think I obviously am speaking from the perspective of not having kids, but it seems like it would be like boundaries is something that business owners struggle with a lot in general, especially new business owners. And it seems like that would, it would almost become something that was easier to do once you're like, not only am I protecting myself and my time, but now I'm also protecting the time with this child. It's almost like you're like advocating for them by setting boundaries for yourself. Absolutely. Yes. And the last thing that I want my daughter to remember from her childhood is looking up at me and seeing the back of my phone. Yeah. I want her to remember seeing our faces. And that's my biggest motivator and boundaries. Uh, And it is so motivating when you're with them. Like Mm -hmm. it's tremendously clarifying. Yeah. And you have a I don't know. I think that I remember seeing you post something about this or there were, you were kind of like chatting about it, um, about making the decision to not really show your daughter much on social media, which I think is super interesting and seems like something that more people are talking about now. Um, so I'm super interested to know if you're comfortable sharing it, what kind of led you to that decision? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I first want to share with this that this is my personal decision. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. how you decide to show up as a family and show your children is a very individualized decision. There's a lot of ways to do it well. For me, yeah. it's not making my daughter part of my digital presence online. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I came to that decision uh, is influenced by a few different things. One, my daughter doesn't understand the impact of what it means to have 
her face and her presence on social media. Mm -hmm. And I would not want to take that decision away from her. Mm -hmm. I have a really interesting like family story from this that I feel like represents how our children might feel in the future about their digital presence being mapped out from such a young age that I don't Mm -hmm. think a lot of us have because social media is so new. Yeah, my parents parents ran a magazine when I was a child and I have a few siblings. It was a parenting magazine and it was a digital or excuse me, it was a paper printout. So it was like mailed to people. Mm -hmm. But eventually all of the issues were archived online and you could search Mm -hmm. for keywords. So one of my siblings, there is a story in this magazine because it was a parenting magazine about one of my siblings learning how to be potty trained. Which, if you follow any momfluencer ever, there's always, like, that weird content. Not weird, but it's just, like, things that you're like, wow, that's a weird thing to talk about online. But when you're selling a lifestyle through your digital platform, why not talk about potty training? Right, right. So, this something of mine is, like, in a very professional career. Like, I'm not even going to say what it is, but it involves, like, a high level of security clearance. It's, like, very hush-hush. And... It is mortifying for them that when you Google their name, this article pops up about them being potty trained. <laughs> That's like the first one. You've like secretly gone in there and put SEO in it so that it pops up first. <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. And that, I mean, I don't think, because the digital age and like showcasing our lives online is still really new. So yeah. I don't think that like we have a large amount of those stories of people coming up and saying, hey, I wish my parents hadn't shared such vulnerable details about me. Um, online the other thing too and this is really like again just kind of the more you know Mm -hmm. but there is such a large dark presence online with Mm -hmm. people with malicious intentions taking imagery of children um, Mm -hmm. and using them in a sexual manner um, Mm -hmm. or selling them and the most innocent of images like can be convoluted in a really disturbing way yeah and I I like really don't think on that side of the internet very often like Mm -hmm. I believe the best in people I am pretty open with what I'll share about myself but just knowing that that's out there it doesn't really feel worth the exposure of my daughter Mm -hmm. uh to have that as a possible risk for any content that she's involved in So for me personally, when I looked at those two reasons, I was like, huh, this really gives me pause with sharing anything about her once she's past like the blob newborn phase where they're just looking like this cute little old wrinkled man where they're kind of unidentifiable. Yes. (laughs) And then the final kicker for me of like, yeah, I really don't think this is for me is so much of my work time is spent in a digital space on my phone or on my computer. And when I am with my daughter, I really want it to most of the time not involve technology. Like we're outside, we're splashing in waves, we're like playing in the sand, um, we're swinging on the swings, we're reading books. And I wouldn't want the pressure for either of us to feel like that needed to be content. Mm-hmm. Because I really wanted that time to serve her. And I didn't feel like if part of that was her staring up at the back of my phone while I made content that it was going to be, like, good for her. Mm-hmm. So for me, when, like, I looked at those three things, I was like, yeah, I don't think I don't think 
incorporating that aspect of my lifestyle, and even though she's such a huge part of my story and my life, uh, is good for her or or good for me. Like mm-hmm. I don't need I don't need those burdens. Yeah. So it was really thought out. It was very intentional, and it kind of surprised me that I felt strongly about it. And I didn't, you know, think that strongly about it until I had a child. And then I was like, wow, yeah, this is something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that you didn't, you don't think about because they weren't really things that you have ever had to think about or that you dealt with growing up very much. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there will be tons of other things like that as, you know, anyone's kids get older. Um, But what you said about, um, well, first I want to ask, have you had any like pushback about it? Has any, or have you had a lot of people that are like, you know, opening discussions about this? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who haven't, hadn't even thought about it. Yeah. You know, the pushback is largely from like older family members who want to see content of her. That makes sense. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, just text me and I will send yeah. you a million photos and videos. You're like you can literally see her in person, in real life. <laughs> Yeah, so only pushback from like family members from afar who really want to see her. Um, And, and very kind hearted pushback, I would say. I have actually had so many beautiful conversations with fellow parents in my DMs, Mm -hmm. especially when I shared this. So many people like, Oh my gosh, wow, that's such a good idea. Like, thank you. Or like this, this gives me permission to do that. Because I felt like, we needed to have this type of content as part of our business. Mm-hmm. And while it might be the less popular route because children do make really adorable content, mm-hmm. uh, it's right for me. And I hope that it invites the, the internal conversation for someone else mm-hmm. to ask what the best way to show their family is online. Yeah. I think that's so cool because there's like, there's obviously so many layers to it, but it also does we I've had some conversations on different episodes that are kind of adjacent to this about, you know, with even just with creating content with like other people or your family or your partner or your kids, it also kind of adds this layer of like pressure to keep that up because you're like, okay, are people here for me anymore? Like, am I able to sustain my business myself or Mm -hmm. is it being sustained by what my content that has evolved into? And it's just, it's, it's really tricky because it's like, I I can totally see both sides of it. I think it's really, really cool that people like, for instance, you know, maybe people who like vlog, have a family vlog or something like that. I think it's so cool because you can look back on that and it's like an archive of all these really cool things. And then on the flip side of it, I know that I could never do it because I'm like, I can't even manage to like vlog my own day. I can't imagine (laughs) having to like that pressure of, oh, I have to get content for this. Like I hate feeling like that for myself, even when I'm like on a trip with friends or I'm doing something really cool. That thought that pops in of like, oh, I can make a really cool TikTok video of this. And then before you know it, you've spent the whole time doing that and you haven't even enjoyed the actual thing that you're doing. So I totally mm-hmm. feel you on that. Yeah, I think it's a constant conversation in this new digital age where we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out the balance of truly being present in the moment and yeah. recording the moment for content or for future posterity. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And I think that that will continue to be like a big conversation. And the more we can create our own opinions about it and set our own boundaries, the healthier relationship we'll have with this new digital world that we live in. Yeah. The digital state of mind. (laughs) Mm -mm -mm. I love it. Okay. Well, I, I feel like we could definitely go on for way longer about that topic, but I know the people want to hear your opinions on some business stuff as well, even though that was kind of business, but I have some questions I want to ask you about brand personality, words, communication, conveying yourself the way that you actually want to, which is definitely a struggle for any entrepreneur, but especially for beginning entrepreneurs. So obviously, whenever you start a business, there are so many things that you're thinking about. And one of the biggest things that you are thinking about and other people are telling you to think about is your branding, your brand voice, showing up as yourself, what is your brand personality, and you're thinking about, okay, I have to build an Instagram, should I do email marketing, I know that I have to build a website, etc, etc, etc. It just feels so overwhelming when you're looking at it from a bird's eye perspective. So I would love to hear from your angle what what you feel like takes priority in those times and what kind of like the steps to get there are in terms of starting to develop your brand voice when you may not even know how to do it, or what it's going to look like in the future. Yeah, let's jump into this because there's a lot to unpack here. And let's start with the brand voice. A brand is ultimately how you make people feel. So the voice has to be a huge part of that, which ends up being really overwhelming when you're an emerging Mm -hmm. entrepreneur trying to figure out how to show up online. So I want to offer some tips for developing your own brand voice, showcasing your personality, and showing up in a genuine way. The first one is going to throw people for a loop because it's kind of counterintuitive, but you should not be looking at or absorbing any of your competition's Mm -hmm. content, including their website. Mm -hmm. And this is the first thing that people go to when they're trying to figure out how they want to sound. Unfortunately, when you go this route, it leads to microplagiarism, which is where you're taking little elements or sometimes straight up plagiarism where you're taking large elements (laughs) from someone else's business to try to communicate your own because you loved how they sounded. But the reason you loved how they sounded is because you loved the way they made you feel. And you will not make someone feel that way by copying them. Right. So here are some tips to instead look at other things. The first thing you want to dial in on is what brands does your ideal client or ideal customer already pay attention to and already listen to? These could be clothing brands, media brands, like any brand, really, like their favorite bougie cold brew coffee. Mm -hmm. But what you do in this is you start to tap into this beautiful stream of communication of brands that they already know, like, and trust. And then you can choose elements from those brands. Perhaps like this particular brand is like super cheeky and like a little, you know, like not safe for work, but in like a super fun way. So pull that into your brand. You know, maybe this brand speaks really positively and they never put anybody down. Like let's pull that in too. And you can look at their word choice and you can look at the way that they phrase their sentences. Like, are they long or short? Like, do they use slang? Do they say like we are or we're, you know, like little elements like that. If you want to get, if you want to get like really nitpicky with it, but yeah, I would say do it because 
the more you know, the more you know. And the beautiful thing again with this is then when your ideal client finds you, they're going to hear something that's familiar because they, these are brands that they already really appreciate and have likely, you know, given their credit card to. Mm-hmm. So in that process, then, okay, but how do you sound genuine, right? So I think the key to presenting yourself in a genuine way is to have some vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I think vulnerability is often misconstrued in the online space as yeah. sharing your deepest, darkest secrets or sharing... All the time on your stories. <laughs> yes. And I, I have nothing bad to say about that, except if you don't feel like that's you, that is not the extent of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability can often just be showing up with an opinion about something. And even just starting there is a beautiful place to let your voice mature and develop and find its own way, which does take time. And I want to give everyone like take a collective sigh of relief over the fact that like you don't have to come out of the gate with a perfect brand voice. It'll develop with time. But like, if you just start with these pieces here, it's a really beautiful way to kind of continue on down the road and let it mature. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just realized oh. I'm muted. <laughs> It's like we're on Zoom again. (laughs) Okay, it's back. I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Rookie mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Will you repeat what you were saying? Yes, I was going to say what you said about um, the micro plagiarism. I feel like it's so interesting because you don't realize that you're doing it. Sometimes, sometimes you do. (laughs) And it's ill, there's ill intentions there. But you do this all the time, even when you are like, I notice when I'm reading a book or something, or I am speaking to someone who like for a lengthy period of time who speaks a certain way, I start speaking that way as well. We are constantly doing that. And it can get really intense in business because you look up to these people and you want to support your community and you want to feel inspired. But there's that line of the support and having the community And then you kind of cross that threshold into I'm only looking at these people as my source of inspiration. Therefore, not only am I going to always be multiple steps behind them, but I'm never going to end up attracting the right people to me because I am just kind of a culmination of these few people that I am constantly looking at, constantly stalking, constantly trying to emulate in my own brand. So I love that you mentioned that because I think that it's something you have to be really, really aware of. And it seems like something that's just words, but you learn throughout having a business that the times when you are so focused on creating and looking at external inspirational sources, like what you were saying about looking at brands that your ideal client likes, that is when you create the coolest things. It's never from when you are trying to be like someone else or emulate what someone else is doing. So love that you said that. So in terms of starting to create. So for a lot of new entrepreneurs, obviously they don't really have the means typically to immediately invest in, you know, a copywriter or a professional service, UX writer, something like that. So in terms of trying to find some 
consistency across your socials because you probably are going to start out with an Instagram. You're going to be writing your captions. Then you're probably going to move on to a website, maybe a blog. Then you start with emails. What are your tips for starting to create a level of consistency through that? Because we see a lot with branding, you have like your creative directions, which kind of flow into, it's easy to make those elements flow into every part of your brand. I feel like with words, it can be a little bit trickier to communicate that. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I love this question. More people should be asking this. So with words, they can so easily flow into the right places. You just need to have the framework for where they go and why. So what I generally recommend for emerging entrepreneurs and something I've had great success with is really following a marketing funnel concept with how you communicate. And I'll illustrate this with all of these platforms we're talking about. So at the very top of the funnel, it's really wide, right? There's a lot of people who can kind of like start hanging out at the very top of the funnel where they're just starting to get to know you. And that's really where you want your content to be engaging, sharing a little bit about what you do, all of that. And you want to think about, okay, so where would people be hanging out? If they're at the top of my funnel, well, likely social media, Mm -hmm. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, like all of that are excellent top of funnel avenues, perhaps even like a newsletter um, Mm -hmm. or being part of uh, your email list. And then in that top of funnel space, you want to think what's the most appropriate avenue of communication? Like what catches people's attention here in this Mm -hmm. particular platform? So let's use like Instagram reels for a sec. Cause I feel like we all can immediately think of like a reel. We probably saw this morning. Yep. Reels, that type of communication typically starts with some sort of a hook to keep people watching. Mm-hmm. And then usually like a tidbit of information or perhaps a call to action to read more in the caption. That's in terms of like the amount of words you put there, like it's not a ton of words, right? Right. It would feel really bizarre if you were trying to cram in three paragraphs of information into a reel. Mm-hmm. You either wouldn't be able to read it or you'd have to make several reels, which then mm-hmm. how do you, you know, lead someone through all of the reels? It's very complicated and obviously you quickly know, hey, wait, this is not the right format for this large amount of information I'm trying to convey. Right. So then let's look at another aspect of the top of your marketing funnel. Let's say that you have a blog on your website. Mm -hmm. And on your blog, it would be a perfect place to lay out three paragraphs of information where you're diving deep into your opinion on something that relates to your client's interest. Now, would it be appropriate to like post two sentences on your blog with a photo and then like throw that out there? No, that should probably be a reel, right? Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> so like playing, it's, this is like content Tetris. Yeah, it is. And there's a great way to think about it when you're trying to figure out which way it goes. Is it long form content, which should yeah. be a blog or an email or a podcast? Or is mm-hmm. it short form content, something that should be a reel or an Instagram post or a TikTok? Uh, or a LinkedIn post, or a Twitter tweet. Wow, you know what I mean. Uh, Twitter tweet. <laughs> a Twitter tweet, you know what I mean. So in that, you can really start to see this level of clarity with how your brand voice can go out. Yeah. Because once you kind of know how you want to sound, and you're like, okay, I want to talk on this topic, 
do I feel like I'm like oversharing on Instagram and I have 40,000 stories about it? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe there should be a blog post or a podcast or something like that. Or, you know, am I like have one quippy thought? Okay, this should definitely not just be a 30 second podcast. This should mm-hmm. be a TikTok. So when you're thinking about how to naturally spread out your brand voice, the only way you're going to feel confident with determining between long form and short form is by just doing it, practicing. Mm -hmm. The best thing with social media is it moves so quickly and anything in the top of funnel space, podcasts, blog posts, all of that, people consume and then tend to not remember the specifics. So it's this beautiful place for experimentation and you can learn so much if you set aside that like nervousness of throwing yourself out there because you can see what performs well and then say, oh my gosh, like this whale blew up. Let's write three paragraphs on this for my blog because Mm -hmm. clearly people are interested in this. Yeah. Um, Or this. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot that you can, you can do with that in terms of expanding your, your brand voice out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just recently saw this. I don't I don't remember where I heard it, but it was this um, professor who was teaching photography and he had like one, I think this is like a popular story, but he had one group of students take their assignment for the class was to take 100 photos. And then another group's assignment was to just take one photo, like the best photo that you could. And obviously the first group like did amazing and grew so much during that semester because they were trying new things and seeing what worked and going out and experimenting. Meanwhile, the second group obviously was just spending all their time trying to think of what the perfect photo would be and how it would, you know, they would find the most success with that. And I think that that's so similar to starting to create content, like creating content in general, and then also just figuring out what your audience likes. I think that that's so important for, your voice as well because it's I've kind of noticed this that there's two two sides to it like you want to be creating you want to be authentic to yourself and the way that you want your business to be perceived so that you can pull in those people but sometimes you also end up pulling in a bunch of people that you were like okay I didn't know that <laughs> these people were going to be kind of attracted to me in this way maybe now I'm also going to alter my brand voice to reflect that and to appeal to those people as well so I think that it's in my opinion and correct me if I'm wrong it's not only about like having this hard and fast brand voice that you stick to forever but it's also a lot about adapting to what your audience reacts really well to because like you said it does change so fast in the online space Yes. Being reactive and then being intentional with how you take the information that you just mm-hmm. learned about is like a superpower with entrepreneurship. Yeah. And you've yeah. got to cultivate it. Don't, I think, you know, as, a, as an emerging entrepreneur, like don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just stay curious, listen, mm-hmm. see what draws the most attention, lean in. Like, I think the best thing you can do is just throw it out there and adapt and that's where growth happens Mm -hmm. and there's so many like obviously this is (laughs) kind of like counterintuitive to what we were just saying but I feel like there's so many nuances with the online space but something I'm interested in getting your opinion on um and there was a 
sentence. I can't remember the exact. I almost feel like Shannon from Social Bungalow may have said this and it like was burned into my brain. But the sentiment was something along the lines of, if you feel overwhelmed with your marketing, you're doing too much. It was something along those lines where it's like, basically the point was sometimes we start to create so many things and try so many things in our business that we like completely lose sight of our North stars in a sense. So I'd like to get your opinion on that in terms of, you know, if someone maybe has found a like done really well with their content or they feel like their business is running really smoothly and they were finding a lot of success or something like that. And then they feel like, okay, I'm putting out so much content. I'm putting out, I'm trying so many new things. I'm starting to offer so many new services. Like what is the line that you walk there between being reactive and figuring out what people like versus just overwhelming your business and confusing your audience? I know that it's kind of Mm -hmm. a convoluted question, but no, I get it. Opinion on it. All right. Yeah, I see this happen a lot in the online space. Kind of losing the forest mm-hmm. for the trees. Yeah. Like you're really overwhelmed and it feels yeah. like there's some essential element that like could probably be done better, but you're not really sure where it is. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of different ways to unpack this, but from the communication perspective, I think what's essential is knowing your brand's ecosystem and how people can live in it. And that it goes down again to like that funnel of like, okay, where do people get information and commit to being a paid member of my brand's ecosystem? Mm -hmm. That could be one-on-one services. It could be buying a template or a course or something like that. And when you look at that bottom of the funnel, like what offers do I have for people? There should be clarity around that like hardcore clarity you should have an entry point you should have a middle ground that's a little bit more of an investment and then you should have ideally like some sort of elite service um Mm -hmm. if you're a service provider i think that that tier works really well right and if there's any confusion with that anything that you're doing with marketing is going to lead to confusion Because ultimately, everything that you're putting out in that top of funnel, in that middle of funnel space where you've got a lot of high-performing content, business is going well, like you're getting a lot of interest, if that's not converting at the bottom, something's up with your communication and something's up with with your own understanding of... of What should be... Puppies are like, all right. (laughs) The puppies are like, we're done. Um... Something's up with how you're communicating your offers. And it likely means you don't have clarity about them, which can very easily happen. There's nothing to be ashamed about. It just means that there needs to be something refined. Now, if you're in a place where your communication's working well and you're getting booked up and you feel like you're branching out on all these offers, feeling a little bit stretched, feeling like your content's kind of crazy because there's just a lot going on, it's time to look at what's not performing well. Even if everything's performing well, there's still a tier of like, the stuff that's doing exceptionally well down to the stuff that's like maybe underperforming just a little bit, but it's still getting by. And once you look at that, that's when it's time to just start mixing things and keep optimizing towards obviously the content that's performing the best and the offers that are performing the best. It seems like a lot of times in these situations, even if it's just a matter of, you know, content or 
like you said, not converting, just not feeling that connection with clients. A lot of it is about simplifying and really trying to go back to the basics as difficult as that may feel because sometimes we feel like, okay, well, I'm so far ahead and I've accomplished so much in my business. I shouldn't have to be moving backwards. But it seems like that is so necessary sometimes. I guess it's almost like the slingshot that you hear about in business, kind of pulling yourself back in order to propel forward. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's nothing to be ashamed about with that. That is the ecosystem of business. That is also, what you have to do. Yeah. I'm also curious your thoughts that kind of tie hand in hand with this about having multiple different offers and kind of tiers of things. What is your opinion on pricing transparency? I feel like this has been a topic of confusion for people. If they should put their pricing on their website, if they should put it on their highlights, like when is the right time to do it? When is the wrong time to do it? If there is such thing. Oh man, it's very individual for every business. But there are some general guidance factors that can provide a lot of clarity with this. So starting out, when it comes to displaying pricing, my general rule of thumb that has worked very well, and I've seen it work very well for other service providers, is if your level of pricing is not a crazy high ticket investment for your client, it should be on your website, at least a starting price if not laying out set packages. Now, the reason that I say that is you don't need to do a lot of hard selling to get your client invested in this. Now, the rule of thumb on whether or not this is going to be sticker shock for them is ideally like they should be charging, sometimes I think like two to three times what you charge for their own services or their profit levels or anything like that can be a really good barometer for how you show your pricing because, and that that is something that you would want to know as you do your market research and spend time figuring out like, okay, what does this person in their industry tend to make sort of thing. Now, when it comes to not displaying pricing, something to consider is, is this a big investment for my client? Do they need to see a lot of value and then see the number and know that the number correlates with what I'm offering? Well, sometimes, yeah. And then if that's the case, I really would advise against displaying pricing because you wouldn't want someone to walk away seeing the sticker price even though they really need you because they haven't seen the value and what the results could bring. And ultimately, like the results should correlate with an increase of income in their own Mm -hmm. business. Mm-hmm. And talking about, I'm kind of moving backwards here, but this is something that I thought of that I really want to get your opinion on. So when we're talking about like showing our personality and, uh, you know, being authentic to yourself in terms of your brand voice, the, the first example that comes to my mind about this particular question I'm asking is uh, typing without capitalizing your first letter. <laughs> Kind of using phrases that maybe you wouldn't necessarily use in, you know, a corporate email, but you use when you're texting or something like that. And it's funny because I, every single time I send a text, I rarely ever capitalize the first letter. I'm usually always doing lowercase, but in my captions and in my emails, I am always capitalizing the first letter. But I feel like there's kind of been this like revolution of people who are wanting to 
kind of have that side of themselves be shown and uh, I guess bring a sense of casualness to the online business space. So I'm interested to get your opinion on if that is appropriate or just, I guess, what that looks like. Like if there is a time where that's appropriate to bring more of that casual side of things into your business voice or if it's something that should kind of be left behind. Oh, absolutely. I think the answer lies in knowing who you're serving. If you're serving a business owner who is laid back, have like full freedom to be laid back in, yeah. in your communication style. Capitalization, punctuation, all of that, I feel like you can play with. You always want to aim for clarity. So if you're not using uh, punctuation or capitalization and it's mm-hmm. causing confusion, like that's, you know, you obviously need to switch it up. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Now, I think what's important in this is really knowing who you serve. For me, I would not hire someone who does not capitalize and use proper punctuation, but I may not be someone's ideal client. Mm -hmm. So I think that it really boils down to like, okay, yeah, Sarah works in communication. She probably appreciates, you know, clear, Mm -hmm. uh, more traditional styles of punctuation and capitalization Mm -hmm. in emails and texts. Now, I will say, if you're doing it stylistically as part of your website, there's totally Mm -hmm. room for that. But definitely always aim for clarity on your website, too. Yeah. And I would only get casual with your grammar and syntax and punctuation and all of that mm-hmm. if you know that that is how your audience communicates. Because, right. again, it's kind of going back to, like, what they're used to. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think professional li- professionalism lies in being a clear communicator mm-hmm. and over-delivering and delivering yeah. on time. If you do those three things, to be honest, like, have fun, be funky. <laughs> yeah, no way. Like, if you're doing all those things and your your ideal clientele doesn't mind that you're not capitalizing and all of that, then uh, have at it. Be casual. I love it. I love it. Cool. So at the end of the day, it comes down more so to making sure that it reflects the values or at least the communication style of your ideal client versus this is how I text normally. So I have to uh, have this in my brand voice. Totally. And I think it's really important to know your channels of communication, like how you text. Oh my gosh, my texts are atrocious. If anyone read my text, they would be like, this person does not communicate professionally for a living. (laughs) But that's because that's like a space for friends and family. Right. Right. Now my emails, like they're always going to have, Mm-hmm. Like a, a conversational style, but still have yeah. correct grammar and capitalization because that's what my clients value. Yeah. Are my Instagram stories going to be free from typos? Absolutely not. Like I, I don't have time for that and that's okay. Yeah. Like that, I would not hold anyone to that standard of like having the most perfect on Instagram stories or TikToks or anything like that. I know. We're all just frantically typing, trying to write out our caption because you type out your captions, right? You don't use the auto-generated ones? Usually. It depends. I feel like I'm more drawn to typing out the captions. I did a poll once and my audience was like, oh my gosh, type out the captions. These auto-generated ones are crap. And I really took that to heart because I want to know what kind of communication they respond Mm -hmm. to. So it's more time consuming. Although, you know what you can do with Instagram stories? You can do a voice to text where like you record a story 
and then just hit the microphone button and talk over the story uh-huh. and it'll like type out what it hears you saying and then you just have to adjust a few things and you're basically good to go which is really cool I always forget that you can do that um yeah I need to I want I've been meaning to make a poll about that too because I'm like oh the auto-generated ones are so easy but whenever I'm watching someone's stories and they have the auto-generated ones I'm like tap 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 tap. like I do not pay attention to it so Yeah, the struggle problems we have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it goes back to creating quality content that resonates with your audience, which sometimes means putting in extra work. Yeah, so true. Okay, well, the last question I have for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, But I think this is a a good one for, again, the people who have been trying to create their brand voice themselves, but, you know, maybe they've got made some progress, but they still feel like, they're struggling with it, or maybe they just feel like it's time to kind of elevate things. What do you consider to be the right time to start to outsource copywriting or invest in a business like Brandspeak Studio to start to take over some of those things for you? Mm, such a good question. When you can afford it, you really shouldn't jump into it unless you're in a place where your offer has been proven. Because the Mm. best copy in the world cannot sell an offer that your audience doesn't want. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge component in finding a happy ecosystem and level of balance with outsourcing your communication. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to have been in business for a while. You could be a fairly experienced entrepreneur starting something new and knowing that your offer will work. You have some data behind that. And then it's a great time to outsource. But when it comes to building up your business, like I did, and like when you should outsource, Mm -hmm. get out there, test the waters, make sure that your offer stands strong and it's something that people want. If it's not, Mm -hmm. adjust it, refine it. Like you have the power to do that. No one's holding you back and you've got that agency. And then once you're like, okay, this is working, how do I get to the next level? That's when it's time to work with a professional communication expert. Yeah. And then on the like kind of following up to that, what do you think or what are your thoughts on ongoing uh, copywriting support for business owners? So like, what does that look like? Maybe you're at the point where you can afford having your website done or your copy for, you know, a few emails done, whatever that looks like. What does the, what does it look like when you're starting to venture into, okay, I maybe need more ongoing support because they did this amazing work on my website and then my captions aren't necessarily reflecting it because, you know, I'm writing it. Yeah. I think when it comes to ongoing support, you want to work with a copywriter who can hand you a framework for how to sound. That's a huge element of what we do now is like, here's your framework for how you sound across all of your platforms. Now, Many business owners reach the point where they need to be in their zone of genius and pushing the business forward. They really shouldn't have a heavy hand in time-consuming content creation. That is super impactful for your business. So our clients are often on retainer for blog posts, like Mm. SEO-oriented blog posts that are super jam-packed with info, amazing evergreen content. Yeah. Emails, like a newsletter where we sketch out like the rough draft of like the bullet points of what they want to convey. And then we do the heavy lifting and make it sound on brand. Mm -hmm. Instagram captions too can be a big one. 
if you're like really at the point where you just need a few to plug and play here and there that are in your brand voice every week. Mm-hmm. But really like that ongoing relationship, there's no shame in having an ongoing relationship. You shouldn't be handling it all if you're in a position yeah. where you're generating a large amount of content and it's mm-hmm. serving your business well. Mm-hmm. So I would say like, do what fits your business best. Like you may be able to take that framework for how to sound and go forth and have total confidence. And you may also be at a point where you're like, dang, I need help. Like, wow, I would much rather do something more productive with this time than bang out another blog post. So that's where we come in. Love it. Well, I am super excited. Everybody's going to go rush to uh, <laughs> to write up some good content after this episode. <laughs> I hope so. I'm so excited. Well, let us know or let everyone know. Do you want to kind of talk about what Brandspeak offers? So like who you work with, what offers you have kind of ongoing, and then you have some really good resources as well. So if you want to just kind of dive into all of those and let people know where they can find you. Yes, absolutely. So all of these resources can be linked at brandspeakstudio.com backslash the digital state of mind. Ooh, so you can find all of those resources. You're so fancy. Here. You created I got you. for us. <laughs> yes. So we have starting off a ton of free resources that you guys should go jump on right away. Mm-hmm. We have a guide to writing your about me on your website, which is like mm-hmm. the worst for everybody. So that's take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. We also have a done for you out of office responder and mm-hmm. it has instructions for how to turn on an automatic responder in your inbox. If you've never mm-hmm. done it because it can be mildly terrifying. <laughs> and what this does is it responds to emails for you when you want to be away from your inbox. Mm-hmm. And we know that, one voice does not fit all businesses. So we have three brand voices to choose from and you can mix and match. You can completely copy and paste them. We want you to copy this. Mm -hmm. So as far as free resources go, check those out. You will not regret it. And then you can also find us with our mastermind. So we offer an intimate mastermind for entrepreneurs who feel comfortable writing, but they really, really crave accountability, community, and expert guidance in crafting a website that converts. Mm-hmm. So you can sign up for the waitlist on our website. If you're a few years into business, you're slaying it and you're like, I need an expert to take this over for me. We also offer one-on-one done for you services with your website. And then we also offer sales pages for education, mm-hmm. for new offers, and to really get everything dialed in so that your audience knows exactly what you're selling and knows that it's for them. Yeah, I love it. You got a full suite going on over there. We sure do. Jess, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I feel like we covered a lot of topics. We we went all over the place and I feel like we could have dived into some of them even more, but we're trying to stay away from the four hour episodes over here. <laughs> Highly recommend. I think yeah. I think we we touched on so many exciting things and I'm really I'm really grateful that we took the time to dig in. Me too. I love it. Okay, so All of Sarah's information, Brandspeak Studios information and resources are going to be in the show notes. Like she said, there is a lot. I see so many people using the out-of-office responder. We use it in our business and it's so nice because you, it's one of those things where you don't think about it until you have it and then you're like, oh, I feel so much better because people feel like I'm still communicating with them even when I'm trying to take time for myself. So 
Yeah, I love that you have that resource. So we will have all of that linked in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for I will, me. yeah, of course. I will talk to everyone on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast. I am your host, Jessica Hawks, and I am so happy to have you here. Follow along with us on Instagram at the Digital State of Mind so that we can stay connected with you and get your feedback on what you want to hear on the show. I know everyone says this, but we're serious, okay? (laughs) Talk to you next time.